Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics, which are going to educate and empower others. And give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, everyone. Like the good, like middle to end of January. Yeah. We are gearing up for a series of, I mean, some districts start their transition plan meetings as early as February. I feel like we get a crunch of them in like May, June. But in terms of like transition to the new school year, enrollment for schools and programs are usually like February, March. Mm-hmm. So like if you're enrolling your kid trying to do school of choice, if you're trying to get into a lottery of a certain charter school, it's like yeah. now. And yeah. I think far too often, I don't know why it is because like, I feel like I'm dealing with that now. Like we find out like the very last minute, like, Oh, next week is sign up for this. Like <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So this is just kind of your reminder. If you're thinking about doing school of choice, if you're thinking about doing like, it's like February and March, like, You might be able to, like, if you're thinking about different programs, it's unfortunately fairly early. Like, I think usually Mm -hmm. the deadlines for that (coughs) programs, it's like March. So that's right around the corner. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons we wanted to have kind of a solo episode today, everybody, we're doing a solo episode, is to kind of talk about some of the things that we're dealing with at the end of last year, you know, obviously spilling over into this year and to really kind of break down a lot of what we do in terms of just like communication and listening, whether that is not just to our client, but with like school district. Yeah. Well, and and some of the, I guess, roadblocks we face after that IEP process. So you've, you've been Mm -hmm. to your IEP, you've asked for something or you've shared a concern and the district has not agreed with you, or they've said no to your request, whether you got a prior written notice or not, you know, where do you go from there? You know, we've talked a lot in the past about how, you know, you don't have to always go to due process if there's a disagreement that you can Mm -hmm. do a lot of collaboration. And and that's what we try to, you know, kind of that middle ground between the IEP process Mm -hmm. and filing for due process, because it's, oftentimes quicker, less time consuming, less stressful. Well, would you say that a lot, like a majority of our cases, I mean, maybe it's 50 50, but it really is. Sometimes they're on the same page. Well, in terms of like, okay, we would like this district is saying this. And more often than not, it's just like this, we're this little connector, right? To get them, I suppose, like on the same page in terms of programming. But we really kind of wanted to take some time to discuss a couple of our cases. Like Amanda was saying, you know, we have the ability and maybe because of the ESQ behind our names that they we could file, right? And if we're choosing to take a collaborative approach, like an alternative dispute resolution, a lot of those I did at the end of last year, right between, you know, the Thanksgiving, Christmas season or, or break that a lot of people, the holiday break. And like Amanda said, it can happen quicker. Yes, I could have filed on a couple of those cases, but being able to reach out to the district and then eventually their counsel who represented them, we were able to 
you know, resolve as best as we could some situations so that the kiddos could start January 8th or whenever they go back, whenever they, um, different, different districts go back different times that we could have that like smooth transition. And I think that that's what a lot of Amanda and I do is, is that listening component and then the communication component, because, you know, there are certain players, especially once we get opposing counsels involved that we've, you know, learned to work with over the years. And, you know, that's something really important that I think a lot of parents kind of miss. It's different if you have a new team every year, that's really challenging and that's really hard. And our advice for that type of situation is to have as much in writing and to kind of give that summary at the beginning of the IEP meeting, because it is really difficult when you don't even have one person that has some consistency um, or history with the child. When you're trying to, and part of like what we are able to accomplish being kind of like, obviously we advocate for the family, but, and the child, but like, we are trying to bridge that gap. We are trying to be that middleman. We try to see it from both sides and not because we don't believe our clients or don't necessarily believe the school district, but it's often us being kind of an outsider that we're able to stop and be like, wait a minute, let's make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all talking about the same thing. So like Mm -hmm. what we see very often is a parent will ask for something or a school team Mm -hmm. will propose something and Mm -hmm. the other side is not in agreement and maybe they ask for something or propose something different. And rather than the other side taking a step to first consider what the other side is offering, there's often that wall put up. And that like defense mechanism Mm -hmm. and where we sometimes can come in is to say, okay, parent asked for a more restrictive setting because they don't feel that the current setting is working. A school district might say, no, like this is what we're going to offer. This is what we think is going to work. And a lot of times the parent might say, and this goes both ways, school district might do this too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I don't agree with it because this is what (laughs) I think is right. And Where I would kind of turn that is to say, okay, hold on one second. Obviously, we know why the parent believes what they want is appropriate. And usually the parent explains it, right? Mm -hmm. But then we don't go the step further of asking the district, why is it that you're proposing X, Y, and Z? And like, sometimes I've had conversations with school district administrators where like, they'll be like, okay, let me talk to the team and find Mm -hmm. out because usually Mm -hmm. they're not the IEP meetings, right? Or they get into a discussion of why they're recommending and either there's information that has not been shared with the parent that would be relevant mm-hmm. in this decision, mm-hmm. or they kind of talk themselves out of it as they're talking because they realize like, oh, we don't actually, like, we don't actually have a good <laughs> reason. Like, this is what someone said, or like, they may have an idea in their head about what would be like, what would work because of something that they heard but then misinterpreted it. And Mm -hmm. so having that discussion that's more deep than just, no, I don't agree, but asking the why, you know, we always say, ask the WH questions, who, why, where, why, Mm -hmm. when, why, because we're not going to get to the crux of being able to come to a compromise or an agreement if both sides don't have all the details. I think what's also important are the different iterations. So for instance, when we have a parent that's asking for a different placement. And the response from the district is we need to do assessments. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be useful because we do need data and information to make these informed decisions, especially concerning placement. But we also sometimes have teams that 
feel like they have enough because of recent behaviors or just in-classroom observations or informal benchmark testing that they are ready and willing to discuss that. And my contention is uh, IEP team can really do anything, but when you have certain people on the team that are preventing that and don't have a reason, like you were saying, other than this, you know, sometimes it's a very kind of vague, like, an oh, overgeneralization. Okay. Overgeneralize, and it's like, okay, potentially best practices, however, would be this move, but you're like not doing best practices. You're like doing the minimum that you feel like you are obligated to do. And I think that that's where a lot of parents get frustrated because they are articulate enough. They are in the know enough about certain, we, we see this all the time with parents of kiddos with dyslexia talking about the evidence-based or the research-based type mm-hmm. of programming. And this is what the programming that my child needs. And the district just like not saying yes. And more often than not, it feels like to us based on our experience that those decisions are being made because that is not the curriculum that the district has purchased. I've never had a district like say that and they've never denied that. And again, that's just in our experience. If there were other reasons when we asked, they didn't really give us a reason. No, I mean, I usually just hear the, we have this other program already and our teachers are trained on it already, but then Mm -hmm. they can't speak to the fact that the program they have is not research-based or Mm evidence-based or- Or um, specifically tailored to meet the unique needs of this child. Yes. I think that that's also something that we, you know, wanted to reiterate as you all start attending- these annual IEPs or these amendment IEPs or these transition IEPs, you know, I think it's really important that if you are wanting to make a change, tell them that beforehand so that they know coming up at the IEP meeting, they will give you a decision. Because what happens is we get there, we make the request, well, we being the royal, like we, I suppose, a parent will go and like make the request. And then it's this, oh, well, we're going to respond to you. We're going to write a prior written notice, you know, or whatever. And we're losing time, right? So if you're saying, I would like an IEP meeting because there have been recent behaviors and I would like either a change of placement and or like assessments to, you know, reevaluate like the goals and what supports can be provided to my child. Right, right. I just had a potential reach out to me. I'd been following up with her. She had had an IEP meeting that was coming up to see if her, her child qualified. And I like, without going into too much detail, he didn't qualify. I think we could help her with that. But anyway, and she had said, well, is there something else that you could provide to me to provide support? He was having behaviors and things like that. And the principal had said something along the lines of like, no, like this is the end of the road. And then this Uh, special education teacher piped up and said, well, couldn't we do a 504? And the principal was like, well, no, like this is the end of the road for this. That's like potentially a new meeting. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like there was clear information that this special education teacher at least was like, well, couldn't we do a right. 504 and then like right. to shut it down? Like, right. so like, well, so and we understand like, that that's example, frustrating. Right. And it's such as an example of just like being so combative <laughs> and defensive, mm-hmm. like right out the gate. Like, mm-hmm. yes, of course there's different procedures for 504 plans and IEPs, mm-hmm. but like, How many times have you been to an IEP meeting though, Amanda, and like, or a qualification and then like they say no to an IEP, but then they go right into, we can offer a 504. Oh yeah. Like Like, I've been in meetings where they slide it across the table. Here's the 504 plan that we've already started. So like, (laughs) like if you're looking at like 
you know, very simple, in simple terms, like procedurally, should there be a separate mm-hmm. meeting because you might need to get more information? Maybe. But mm-hmm. like the whole point of like the root reason why you're meeting isn't just to click check off boxes. It is to say, is this student struggling and is there an impact on their education? And is there something mm-hmm. we can do to support them? It doesn't matter if it's an mm-hmm. IEP. And the same goes for like, if I get the same thing with like, say social skills, if mm-hmm. a parent might ask a speech therapist, like about concerns about social skills and how can we support this child? And the speech therapist might say something like that's They don't qualify under that under speech. And so therefore like, I'm not going to provide anything. But then like someone else might pipe up like a counselor and say, mm-hmm. oh, we actually have this like peer group they can be involved in. And it's like, mm. if we were more open to figuring out a way, like it doesn't matter if it's under speech or counseling per se, as long as the right individualized supports are put in there. And so I think like having that open mind to mm-hmm. it's just like the eligibility categories, right? It doesn't matter which door we go into other than low incidence, right? We just need to get through the door. So it's the same with all of these concepts of how can we support this student? And can we take a step back when we're having a conversation, not to rush to judgment, not to rush Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. a conclusion, a yes or a no, but rather, okay, what do we need to do or what steps do we need to take to find the answer and to figure out a solution? And of course, like, to the idea of like being collaborative. If you know, going into an IEP meeting that you're requesting, like you're going to ask for something specific. You're going to ask for more information about a child's behavior. You're going to ask for specific placement. Like as much as you can provide that information to the team in advance, you're less likely to get the, we need to get more information and get back to you in writing. I mean, you certainly might find that too. They might be trying to cover themselves and, and that does happen, but it's much more helpful. Like, and I always try to tell parents, like, if there's something you're looking for, whether it's a goal, if it's an aid, whatever it may mm-hmm. be, if you say, I'm requesting this IEP within 30 days, I'd like you to take data on X, Y, and Z between now and mm-hmm. then and present mm-hmm. it to me at the meeting. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not supposed to say no to that. They're supposed to get that information, take the baseline data, come prepared for the meeting. There's less likely that they're going to, you know, not do it if you provide them that information ahead of time. I know attorneys will out there will say and advocates will say, oh, like, be careful what you share with the school district because like, we don't want them to use it against mm, you. Yeah. We're not in that camp. You know, certainly if you have <laughs> health information that you want to keep confidential of your child that is sensitive, Absolutely. If, if that's how you feel, you know, keep it close. But for the most part, when we're talking about services or supports or private services, a regional center, like to be collaborative, just be, just like you want the team, the district, the school to give you information and give you data. They want you to give information too. Yeah. And I mean, it's all relative, right? I mean, if you're able to use it because you feel like you're going to be using this information in a strategic manner, right? So for instance, I think there's a difference between a change in medication, because you may not necessarily see that right away. But you would like the teacher to know, hey, you know what, two weeks ago, we changed his medication. Please let me know if you see any changes or any, hey, you know what, in the last two weeks, he was paying more attention or whatever, you know, like, I think that there are certain things that yes, of course, if you want to be able to and life, okay, like, you know, you can't keep up on everything, especially if you're only having an IEP meeting once a year. and, And that's why we encourage on this podcast, 
that if there is an issue that is coming up that you have seen more than once, right? Because kiddos will just kind of go through phases where they just, you know, there's one outburst or whatnot, and that's okay. And that's perfectly developmentally appropriate. But if you're really seeing, you know, don't wait, you know, you can have that IEP meeting and have that discussion and even at the IEP meeting say, okay, in 30 days, let's like reconvene. Then you have everybody there so you can put it on the calendar. I I can't tell you how many IEP meetings I've had for certain clients where we're like, okay, we're going to implement this and we want to get back here in about 45 days and everybody's there. And so we put it on the calendar and, you know, if those parents wanted to have an update, you know, in writing, awesome. But for certain teams that are super collaborative and really relish in the communication exchange between the parent and their staff. I mean, I'm having like four or five IEP meetings in a year, right? We're having it every couple of months. And it's not because anything bad has happened. It's just, hey, we're doing this check in. I've also had one or two districts, one with one of my current clients, where they just do a little mini check in with mom. So it's just like the teacher, maybe the district admin and mom. And it's kind of like, they're going over the IEP progress on goals, but then they kind of problem solve any little things that come up. And I mean, it's re- that's really reduced the amount of IEP meetings I've had to have for that client now that he, you know, especially now that he's in high school and we feel like he's found his like people, <laughs> his support. It cut down on, ha- I mean, you know, in elementary school and middle school, we still had, you know, two or three IEP meetings, but those mini ones were really helpful in terms of the communication between parent and the teacher. And this was, especially in elementary school, he had a new teacher, you know, every year. And and he was not in the programs where you're supposed to have a new teacher every year. You're supposed to have a consistent teacher, you know, at this particular school district from K to three and then four through six. And sadly, it just didn't work out for him. But that's why I say now, thankfully, he's kind of fine found his like support system. But yeah, you know, we just kind of wanted to talk to you all about these little patterns that we were seeing and really just kind of give you that pep talk of like, yes, we still deal with it, even though we are representing and we're attorneys. And yes, we could file, you know, that a filing doesn't always need to occur, especially when an IEP meeting or even the a bit more aggressive, the alternative dispute resolution, that just really gets the right people involved. And we have found the timeline to just really make a change in our program or get that aid can sometimes happen a lot quicker than if we went to to the traditional avenue of filing. But also on the same token, it's not magic, you know, just because an attorney gets involved and just because we call a meeting and we can have all of the evidence available to us and all of the proof of what's needed for a student. And, you Mm -hmm. know, on the other side, they are human. Um, We have attorneys on the other side, administrators on the other side that are not directly involved with your student. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes they are not taking the time to gain rapport with that student or even learn Mm -hmm. too much about that student. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. it is not personal to them. It is not Mm -hmm. something that, you know, they don't lose sleep at night. And it's, it's really hard for us to tell parents (coughs) that for, you know, families to come to the realization that sometimes, you know, we just don't have good administrators or I don't want to say good or bad, but like, one that is willing to truly learn and understand what's needed and compromise. Or so, they're just know. like misguided or like, yeah, in right. ways, I'll, I'll leave you guys right. with this one 
story. I had a client of mine that had been a client years ago. She came back. They had had a conversation. Her son was in the position where he could graduate early. And in the spring, they had an IEP meeting and everybody agreed, yep, this is going to happen. Unfortunately, it was not written into the IEP as it should have been written. And she comes back for the fall and it's a whole new IEP team. There's like not even one person that's like familiar with the case. And Mm. they're giving mom the runaround about, oh, no, we have to have this many periods. He cannot have less than this amount. And she's like, we just had an IEP meeting. So I get involved. We try to resolve the situation. There was other things that had gone on in terms of the lack of vocational training and and things like that. And so when we had the alternative dispute resolution session, mom was going to have, you know, we resolved what we could resolve. And then mom was to have an IEP meeting. And I kind of let her know, you know, you just talk to the IEP team. It's still an IEP team decision, you know, even though the last IEP meeting that you had said, you know, no, and this is the district policy. She had the district administrator that was in the IEP meeting from the spring. Mom makes the request that he have a shortened day because he doesn't need any more units. La di da di da. There was like a little bit of pushback from the people, you know, before, and then all of a sudden, the district program coordinator that had been there in the spring and remembered the conversation piped up and said, "I don't see why we couldn't." make this change as an IEP team. And she's like, if you need, you know, district authorization, I'm giving it. And he got the shortened day. And it was one we were getting no, 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 no. I mean, I was ready for you know, and mom was ready. I was going to tell her if they do not make the request at the board, you can make the request, you can go to the board meeting that's going to happen that month. And you can make the request and say, this is what's happening, this other thing. But you know, that's why we say like, if there's just one person that you feel like that can be on your child side or that just understands, it makes such a huge difference. And sometimes yes, there's only so much that we can do. And you know, we, you know, they go from middle school to high school. And then like my one other client, he found his people like they just understood they got it like issues yeah. that were coming up all through eighth grade. Like we literal same issues. And they're like, Oh, but yeah, why we could do this or we can do that. And we were just yeah. like, what? Yeah. And it just all comes down to experience and or the willingness of people to learn alongside the family. And right. so we just want to encourage you again to you know, get as much as you can in writing, make those requests before the IEP meeting so everybody knows what we're getting into, and then have those IEP meetings so that you can have that thorough discussion. And if all else fails, you know, you can reach out to us. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But you know, we are here to help. And I think that's it for our solo episode. We haven't had yeah. one in a minute. So it's good to, to have that. Yeah, if you have any okay. questions about this, or anything else, as we, you know, start this 2024 year, you know, feel free to DM us on Instagram, send us an email. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover or a situation you're dealing with that you'd like us to, you know, include on the pod to kind of just talk about certain specific problems. Like we'd be happy to, you know, consider that we're always looking for new topics and we really want to make this podcast as relatable as possible by giving you real life stories about what's actually happening rather than these hypothetical situations. So Um, We hope this was helpful and we will talk to you later. Bye.